I'm Evie Russman, and welcome to the Perry Network podcast, coming to you from the world's most influential network of private equity real estate investors, fund managers, developers, and strategic partners. Today, we're reporting from the Perry Europe Forum 2023 in London, where many of our global members are meeting at perhaps the most difficult time for real estate since 2008. One key issue dominating the agenda is ESG and how to implement it in an effective way. In an earlier keynote interview, Perry Editor-in-Chief Jonathan Brass spoke to Natalie Paladichev, CEO at Ivanhoe Cambridge, about how she believes the industry must lead the way when it comes to ESG. To explore this in more detail, the two sat down again away from the conference room. So let's listen in. We've just come off stage. We talked about a number of things. One of the prescient topics that we discussed was ESG in particular, decarbonization. I mentioned PRE's cover story this month centers on the deprioritization of sustainability and social impact objectives because of greater concerns about financial prospects in today's economy. The piece includes some damning findings, particularly from North America and Asia, demonstrating how many pins are being put into ESG plans by firms in the sector. And as I said on stage, we aren't alone in covering this pivot in attitudes. I mentioned BizNow, they recently published a study which revealed that 75 of the largest institutional investors, managers, and listed property companies. Of those, 32 had no overall plan to reduce the amount of carbon they put into the atmosphere. And this is a cohort responsible for more than $600 billion of assets. I've got to ask you, Natalie, can you rationalize that swing in sentiment? And secondarily, can you offer a defense to the industry? You know, I, I would think that us as investors should be only pragmatical about it and not dogmatic. And I think that a lot of what's happening in terms of backlash currently and backlash on backlash is more about a polarized uh, society like the US when it's more political and it's not really about the risks and what people are really living. But I don't think we should really participate in this conversation. I don't think it's our role to really take, I would say, a side in this conversation. What we are aiming at is, as investors, managing risks. And the risks, whatever you think about oil and about defending, lobbying for an industry, is happening. And everybody can see that. And for me, if you look at the different levels, and I'm going to focus firstly on the uh, E of ESG, but I would have also some comments to make on the SL and the G, I don't think there is any going back. If you look at what Swiss Re published just a few weeks ago, the cost of insurance because of what's happening in terms of climate change is going to cost $180 billion from now to 2040. 2040 is, is tomorrow. So it's, it's happening. The Harvey hurricane in Texas cost $37 billion. So those things are actual. So it's not like you can't really, whatever party you are representing, you can't really, I would say, have a different point of view. It's just facts. So it's what we do. We have to have this, uh, I would say, global perspective about the way we do business and stick to the rational, to the science, to the datas instead of, again, trying to have a political point of view about it. Second thing, if you look, so it, it's the climate change. Climate change is affecting our properties. Second thing, which is more related to the industry, the main risk we are facing as real estate investors is obsolescence. So anything which could 
jeopardize the value, then the liquidity of an asset should be tackled. So again, for that reason, even if you don't believe in the first range, then you see that happening, discount in pricing, bifurcation, which is not 50 on the right side, 50 on the other side. It's probably 80 on the bad side and only 20, 20 and sometimes, you know, like a city of, of New York, there's probably only 10% of the inventory, which is not obsolete in terms of climate change. And then the third uh, layer is regulation. You have, I think, 134 countries which have signed the Paris Agreement. So they are already committed to be net zero by 2040, 2050. So those things, they are not going to change. Again, it's happening. So regulation for the time being, it's more a question which is dealt cities by cities or sometimes states by states, depending on the governance of a country. And sometimes the governments are still very low. And as I used to say, maybe it's too complicated to just let the government handle that. And that's why I think the industry, because of the potential we have in terms of potential improvement, we should play our role and we should really like be leaders, not only for the industry, but for the rest of the world to show that, okay, those things with science and with scientific solutions can happen and can be done better. So again, according to me, we are not going back. I think you touched on a very interesting area there about regulation, the role of government, and the leadership that the sector can play. Do you think, though, that if change is left in the hands of those in the sector, we stand a chance, and we're perhaps already seeing signs of this, that we have a multitude of different methodologies, different approaches, different calculations as to what's in, in fact impactful and what perhaps is not, and that we stand to potentially confuse ourselves further and we really do need government intervention to align folks. Of course. And, and you know, I'm not in denial that there is still a long list of questions and problems and issues which are not being solved yet. It doesn't mean that we should stop because of that. That shouldn't be an excuse to not do anything. So that's, I think, the way we should look at that in a, I would say, problem-solving mindset instead of saying, okay, I'm just complaining. You know, you have different ways to look at problems. You can just complain or you can act. And my thinking is that we should just act. So. That's true that ISSB is just issuing their first methodology. Then you have TCFD on one side, you have GRACE-B on the, the other side. You have like multiple reportings that you can choose and different people are choosing different tools. But as soon as you verge the same direction, even if the target doesn't seem to be unique and is still moving, again, that shouldn't be an excuse because I really see, and I think that and it's going to be strange, and probably because I'm used to be a CFO, that accounting is going to solve most of that. And if you think about the way, and that's why I think E, S, and G are very connected, because I think that is the G which is going to solve the problem of the E. As soon as you're going to have the same framework for everybody, and maybe at a point the same price for carbon, then we're going to have less questions which are going to be still unresolved. For the time being, that's true, that those methodology and those frameworks are still numerous. But if you look at what SEC is doing in the United States or what ISSB is doing for the rest of the world, then we see that they're 
really moving quite fast. And, and again, the day we're going to have all those metrics and they were going to be able to compare our, between ourselves, again, it shouldn't be an excuse. We should contribute. And that's why I really encourage the industry to talk to ISSB and to say, okay, be careful, devil is in the detail. And maybe if you, if you say that, you're not going to see really the risk attached to that or the difficulty we're going to have to really uh, respond or to fulfill the, the numerous pages. And that's why we shouldn't be passive. We should be active and find our way. Bring the problem and the solution at the same time instead of bringing the problem and expecting somebody else's is going to find the answer. So I think it's really a question. It's a lot about leadership. And you know what I think about that, Jonathan. I really think that it's when we're going to see and it's where we're going to see where the leaders are and where we have just managers. Palada Chef also discussed the challenges between operational and embedded carbon. I think for the time being, uh, most of us, we are just really focused on scope one. I think scope two is emerging right now. And scope three is going to come from the rest of the world. So if you talk to a Unilever, for example, they're going to say, okay, we're already on scope three. And those people, when they are going to need some offices, they are going to ask to the landlord would understand what scope free is about because it's going to have a big impact to whose carbon belong to. So that's the question, in fact. That's the real question of this current problem of scope one, two, three, that you should really find who is the landlord of the carbon. So when we're going to see that, we're going to be able to answer the question. I think it's going to be probably more simple than what we think for the time being. But because we have started probably early in, in the scope one, and when you look at the numbers, you see that scope three is like dramatically bigger. Again, that could be an excuse to say, okay, what's the point? Because in fact, I'm just monitoring a very small part of the problem. But again, you know, especially as investors, we have a big responsibility because we are like the lion at the top of a chain of, of the food. So if we decide that the people we are going to work with, like the asset manager, the property manager, the banks, and so on, if we're all aligned in the way we are going to calculate and demonstrate that, then it's going to change the whole food chain. So that's why investors have a big role to play in the industry right now, because they're going to show the way. And the rest of the job is going to be done by the employees of the company that we're working for uh, or with, the people who live in our uh, residential buildings, and even the people who consume in our warehouses. Those people were suffering from the climate change, I would say, in their soul right now, they are going to, to move. So you're going to have a kind of sandwich situation when you have some people from the top trying to change the way they do the industry and, and then people from the bottom saying, okay, it's what I want, it's what I need. And if you're not able to provide me with that, then I'm going to see and ask the question to somebody else. Last one from me. You, you mentioned the offsets that you would use to justify travel. So you have a correlation between the two. And then you've also mentioned ownership of carbon. One of the interesting areas is offset and the ownership of that offset as well, which seems to be a very immature market that perhaps is heavily depended on by the more mature financial sectors to try to help meet cut targets. How do you think about offsets and their use? I think the key is the price of carbon because for the time being, we offset things which have different values depending on where you are 
and on the uh, local regulation. So I hope that at a point, we're going to all verge to, to at least a common denominator in the way we value that. But again, it doesn't mean that we, because we don't have that, that we could just do something less stupid than what we used to do. You know what I said? When I talk to my team right now and looking around at all those things, I can imagine that it's more complicated to do our job right now. And I think that that's why we're going to have less and less generous, I think. We're going to have to have specialists because there are already so many things you have to absorb to be a good investor that it's going to be almost impossible to think that you are going to be good at any asset class and any geography. So I think people are going to be more specialized. But the only thing we could do in good faith and goodwill is to be just a little bit smarter. And it's what I ask from the team. Uh, just be a little bit smarter, which means... Of course, maybe sometimes we're going to be wrong and sometimes we're going to be right. But as soon as we do that in good faith, good willing, good judgment, good assessment of what we do, the way we do it, I think it's going to be okay. So maybe you think that I'm a kind of old Greta Thunberg, which I'm not at all. I'm very into capital and I'm here to make money for my depositors, which are the um, Quebecers retirees. And I can tell you, it's what they're expecting from me because they think it's not just doing the good, it's just doing the smart. So I think it's what we are paid for. And I think it's probably the common denominator of a company like ours. And I can tell you, eight out of 10 people we are hiring, they come to us because of our ESG commitment. So for me, it's the answer. If those people, young especially, but also people who want to join Ivano Cambridge today, want that, it's because we're probably close to the truth. That again was Natalie Paladichev from Ivanhoe Cambridge. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe, rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And check out the rest of our conference coverage on the Perry Network website. See you next time.